In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 394 this week on the show lucas martell creator of walkabout mini golf the hit game from mighty coconut that is one of our favorite things to do period no really we love ourselves some walkabout martell and company are on a hot streak with the game and we get into that and more in our interview now Depending on when you listen to this, there's a good chance that I will be at the sold out, that's right, be sold out, the sold out next stage immersive summit here in Los Angeles, which kicks off on the day we drop this episode. I'm sorry to everyone that we had to deny a ticket to this week. There were actually a fair amount of people. (laughs) I don't like saying no to people, so it stresses me out. I also don't like turning down money. So like that stresses me out. So I'm just a little stress ball. Uh, but anyway, uh, bodes, bodes well for the future. All right. Uh, and hopefully people sign up on, on the newsletter and, you know, learn the next time. Anyway, the, the summit drops, uh, starts the day we drop the episode. And since the summit is here, we've got a special word from our next generation of artists and audiences pillar sponsor, Meow Wolf, about their upcoming projects. Reality is unreeling at Meow Wolf's latest permanent exhibition titled The Real Unreal. Opening July 14th in Grapevine, Texas, deep in the heart of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Meow Wolf Grapevine will be the fourth location for the arts and entertainment company known for creating transformative, interactive experiences of story and exploration for all ages. You're probably wondering if tickets are on sale and yes they are and yes you should buy them now at meow.wf slash grape if you still want to know what a meow wolf is try getting lost at santa fe's house of eternal return las vegas's omega mart or denver's convergence station where curiosity reigns supreme and familiar spaces lead to spectacular worlds made out of weird art that are still somehow for everybody a Meow Wolf experience is innovative, imaginative, and other words, too. The new exhibition will be open in Grapevine Mills, a shopping mall already featuring a range of experiential offerings. In addition to groundbreaking installations, the real unreal will expand on the Meow Wolf story universe while following a tradition of engaging local artists to build out an accessible, explorable multimedia space. And just like the previous three locations, Grapevine will offer a unique experience— as will Meow Wolf's upcoming exhibition in Houston. So, if you're immersed in Meow Wolf's distinctive brand of storytelling, Texas holds the keys to the next chapters. If this is your first time hearing about Meow Wolf, though, don't worry. There's no right or wrong way to enjoy the art or engage with the stories. Book your tickets for The Real Unreal today at meow.wf grape. Thanks again to Meow Wolf for helping bring the next stage to this reality. Speaking of manifesting our destinies from a kaleidoscopic multiverse of undreamt of possibilities, 
Know who makes our dreams come true week in and week out? Our incredible Patreon backers who keep this show and yours truly alive with a roof over his head. No, really. Seriously, you do. With that in mind, I want to thank our latest backer, Chris Stafford, who is helping us inch our way towards our next big milestone. But I'll save that for after the summit. Remember, as little as $2 a month makes a difference to us and hitting up patreon.com slash no proscenium not only powers the podcast and websites for no pro and everything immersive, it also gets you into our member only discord, which is really hopping right now ahead of the next stage. Let me tell you. In fact, we started scheduling backer only and professional hangouts in the discord, weaving together our community a little tighter over coffee, something I'm getting myself to wake up early for these days. Our next one will, if Apple does what we think they're going to do, be on the Tuesday following this weekend. I'll wake up even though it's supposed to be my week off because Apple has other plans for all of us, don't they? If you're already a backer, don't forget to link your Patreon account to the Discord and drop a review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Share the articles you find useful on your social media platform of choice. It helps immensely. I see some of you doing it. I really, really appreciate it. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mustry, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Boulette. Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, Tom Leonetti McGuire, Kurt Collins, Winthorne, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hansel, Lecker Lacool, the Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. I get to see a lot of you this week. We're also on the lookout for community partners who are up for working out special deals for our backers. Hit me up at noah at noproscenium.com for details. Just don't expect me to get back to anybody before like June 8th. I'm, I'm, I'm already pretty exhausted and I got to have a lot of energy for this week. So uh, that's it for this moment. Where did this come from? I don't know. It's 943 on Wednesday and I've been working all day long. Uh, <laughs> let's get into this interview with Lucas Martel of Mighty Coconut, uh, creator of Walkabout Mini Golf. This is a fun interview. Lucas is great. And if you haven't checked out Walkabout Mini Golf, oh, goodness gracious. Uh, there's You will learn in this interview, there's pretty much soon or right now going to be no excuse for you. No matter, no matter how you do your digital things, there's a mini golf for you. We are pleased as punch today to have Lucas Martel, creator of Walkabout Mini Golf, the hit game from Mighty Coconut down in Austin, that is pretty much our favorite thing to do with folks in VR here around NoPro. He's here with us on the show today to talk about some new courses and the art of making semi-plausible mini golf holes. Lucas, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, before we get into the new, this is my first chance I've had to talk to you and and walkabout helped kept me sane during the high pandemic so i need to ask how does an animation studio how how do the does the maker of spies in disguise like the guy who came up with that get into making vr mini golf yeah so we at, at mighty coconut myself we had we had been dabbling in games and largely it was something that i was doing as a chance to 
keep my hands on the actual production process because um, with a lot of the animation, everything that I was doing, my I found my role was moving more and more into the supervising and basically, you know, other people were actually doing the actual tech and the art. Um, and it's mm. something that I've always loved getting my hands just dirty doing. So games for me were often sort of like, you know, similar skill set, but it allowed me to sort of just, yeah, keep those skills sharp. And I really, really just enjoy getting in there and building stuff. Um, the irony is, is that now that's kind of what games have become because now I have less and less time to actually do that because as Walkabout has taken off, um, I'm I'm in more of that director role, uh, a lot more meetings and a lot more just sort of like the higher level stuff and less of the hands-on stuff, but uh, it's still a lot of fun and it's uh, it's a it's really nice to be able to do it with the team that we have. We're much larger. Originally, this was a, a you know it was a solo project, but now we're up to I believe twenty five people. But oh, that's wow. still small enough that you can still you know really sort of like get in there and have some have a little bit more ownership of everything. So when you said originally a solo project, so when you first started working on it, it was you building what the first couple of courses all by yourself. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I guess I had. I had a little bit of, of help from a couple of um, a couple of folks who I'd worked with in the past, um, but in general, like I I wrote all of the code, I did all of the testing, I talked to um, Oculus at the time um, at an Indicate event, which was how kind of this whole thing got started. It was nice. still Quest One days, and they were just like, yeah, like if you can, yeah, finish it up and bring it over to the to the platform. And when the quarantine hit that was sort of the thing that I kept doing to, yeah, kind of keep myself sane. I suddenly had a lot more time on my hands. So. Oh, it's all, it's all the, the silver linings in the, in, in our collective darkest cloud. Um, okay. So if, if now you don't get to get your hands dirty as much on this, what industry is threatened by your presence next? What are you dabbling <laughs> with and getting your hands dirty? You know, right now it's sort of like, and this is how all it always goes where you, you know, you get, a few years of sort of like really getting to sink your teeth in it's sort of like and it's your baby and then as it grows and it becomes like you know like spies in disguise that was blue sky there were so many people involved that ultimately when that ended up um happening and taking off i really wasn't that involved um by the time it was at that full scale most of my work was much more on the upfront early on phase um so i feel like we're still sort of in the heart of that phase right now where i'm still really really involved and i'm going to be for the next year or two so I'm, I'm, you know, dreaming of what I would like to do next, but uh, I can say that we are, you know, I'm playing around with a couple of other ideas, other games, and it's very, very different doing Walkabout compared to doing something like a feature film like that, because Walkabout is actually set up kind of more like you would a TV series, um, mm. and I'm kind of acting like the showrunner. In fact, we even think of it that like that internally. So at any given time, we have about 12 courses that are in various states of development. So it's just like a TV show, you know, you've got a writer's room, you've got pre-pro, you've got production, you've got post, and then you've got actual release. So that's very much how we think of it. And it's always hopping around between these various different phases and making sure that everything is going smoothly, even stuff that's not going to come out until summer of 2024. This actually prompts me to mind a question about the, the business model you guys have, because I'm always impressed that when you drop a new course, you mm-hmm. load it up for everybody, but you only charge the people who want to be the host so that if I, if I get Labyrinth, I can bring my friends in. Why go right. that route as opposed to making everyone buy the map? I think a lot of it comes down to 
multiplayer, we have about 50% of the games that are played are in multiplayer, which is huge, especially for VR. Um, and we just knew that there was going to be, we wanted to reduce as much friction as possible. Um, and so I would actually, I don't even have the stats handy to see how many people are playing with guest mode versus, you know, actual um, purchasing it. Um, mm. But it's just one of those things that we wanted to remove as much friction as possible so that if you got it, if the course showed up for you and it didn't gray out the course once someone else joined the room. Um, yeah, just one of those things that we really wanted to be as frictionless and as easy as possible. And just everything about this game is about trying to get people in smoothly, quickly up and, you know, and try to get rid of as many of those technical hurdles that you have to think about or negotiate amongst your group of friends. I gotta say, we, we appreciate the way you guys approach that because it's so nice to be able to, to do that act of playing host. It sort of feels like, oh, I bought this board game. I'm going to have my friends over to like play the board game with me. And it's not yeah. like, but, but now we all have to buy the same board game in order to play. So there's, it's yeah. it, good on you guys for, for keeping that as the model. Um, I have to say one of my guilty pleasures is every time we test this before a launch is, uh, so even if you are in a multiplayer match and no one has bought the course yet, you can buy it right there in the multiplayer match and everyone can watch the course just pop unlocked. It's huh. a really sort of like this weird sort of like satisfying little, yeah, just a little bit of, of UI that just really, really, uh, yeah, just really makes it feel very cohesive. Oh, very cool. I'll have to try that sometime. Um, Tell us about the new course. Tell us about Temple at Zerzura. Yeah. I, Zer it's just one Zerzura, everybody. Still, I just, I was just not sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Temple at Zerzura was actually, it's the last of our Lost Cities series, although we've got a couple of other series that we'll be kind of announcing throughout this next year here. Um, and it, we knew that we wanted to do something set in Egypt. Um, we looked at some of the, you know, kind of the, the mystique or some of the, the theories behind Zerzura, although it largely seems like it was one of just, uh, it's very much a made up place. Um, and so we kind of interpreted it as a larger sort of Egyptian. We wanted to, um, we, we, we always strive because we're trying to do such world building things that we didn't just want to do sort of like the cliched Egyptian mini golf, you know, course that was just purely just sort of like iconifying certain things and making them little gimmicks and stuff. We wanted to actually feel like you're in Egypt. So mm -hmm. we actually based a lot of this course off of uh, the temple of Ramses II. Um, and even though we're taking a lot of liberties, just the fact that it is loosely based in some actual architecture, a place that actually existed or even exists and you can actually visit the ruins of, um, it definitely just gives it this sense of uh, a little bit of authenticity. And, you know, even though you're still playing mini golf throughout it, it just really sort of like, it makes you feel like you were there. Um, and that was the the big thing that we strive for with all of our courses is just that, that world building aspect of really sort of like trying to create a place that it would not, mini golf itself doesn't require it. But if you're hopping into VR, you want to be someplace that you want to spend some time in and, I think the the big thing that that really allowed was that Zerzura, just even the play style of the course, is really big. All of the holes are two to three times what they would normally be. So it just, it fundamentally plays a little different than all of the other courses that are in our catalog. Is that a reflection of how you see people playing the game? Because you guys have added, 
you know, the uh, lobby and putting green and, you know, driving range, like a lot of space that's sort of for just hanging out with peeps there. It's, it's one of the more social spaces in the, in the, uh, the quest ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, the, all of that welcome Island update that we did. Cause originally, in fact, I was just looking at, uh, it had come up for some reason. Um, I was looking at the original shack that was just four courses no options menu, no player profile. It was just like click on a cl- on a course or click on private game, and it was this little tiny shack. The shack has actually expanded, I think, four times now. Um, ball tray has gotten bigger. The putter selection has gotten bigger. All those sorts of little details. I thought um, I was getting smaller, so thank you for letting me know it's getting bigger. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah. So and then Welcome Island was absolutely something that we found that so many people were getting in, and they just were they were waiting for people to arrive and we really realized that people are spending so much time in that main menu. We just wanted to make it as, you know, even though you've always been able to hop into a practice round or something, it's just a bit of a, some varied functionality. And we just thought that, you know, let's make this lobby area a much nicer place because people seem to be spending a significant amount of time there. You know, there's still a decent bit of friction with VR headsets, you know, is it charged? Is it, you know, Oh, is my Wi-Fi connected correctly, all these different things. So it's not unusual for people to spend a couple minutes waiting for friends to all filter in. So yeah, just we wanted to really make that, you know, make that a place that people had no problem just hanging out in. When you're when you're designing a space, whether it's Welcome Island or the Temple at Zazura, are, are you you mentioned world building? Are, are you thinking about this as a world building exercise or? Or you know, are you are you pulling in elements of themed entertainment into how you're seeing things? Are you thinking about story? Like, um, you know, the when you guys did Labyrinth, and, and I mm-hmm. and I want to go deep on that for at least a minute in a moment. You really, it felt like you were hitting some of the the key narrative beats through the through the elements that were in the courses, you know, if you knew the, if you knew the movie, it sort of felt like going through a theme park ride version of yeah. labyrinth, right? Like it's a, it was, it was kind of a dark ride. Is, is that how you guys think of it? Yeah. So, I mean, I do think that we kind of have a bit of variability in how we approach courses because we found that some want that larger storytelling. Some things, also just don't quite require it. Um, like mm. I think uh, Zerzura was actually a great example of one that you were in You were in Egypt. There was maybe a little bit of story element, but it's not like it was going through sort of scene by scene where something like Labyrinth was absolutely something that we wanted to take people through that experience of the movie with the most memorable scenes. So that one was absolutely sort of narratively driven. Um, we also have some courses that I think that are probably more in the middle um, where the progression through space. So Labyrinth was really interesting because almost every single hole was in a totally new area with different surroundings. Um, yeah. So you didn't, you very rarely saw the next hole from where you were playing the current one. Um, whereas I think um, most of our other ones, they tend to be a little bit more holistic um, or that they, they tend to be a little bit more tightly integrated, but you still have some progression. And we are thinking about like, What are the areas you want to go to? How are you going to get from point A to point B? We think a lot about the path that you take through stuff so that hopefully you give people, um, I mean, this is, you mentioned um, 
you mentioned like a, a theme park design and all that. We are absolutely stealing a lot from theme park design. In fact, uh, Don Carson, our senior art director, he was an Imagineer, um, worked on Splash Mountain and a bunch of a uh, bunch of different uh, big uh, big shows there. Um, but we're definitely kind of borrowing a lot from yeah themed entertainment, even to that point of like oh let's if we know that we're going to end up at 18, 18 is going to be on this big spot. Let's make it visible for most of the course. So you have this sense of progression. Like you see where you're getting to and you can feel whether you're getting closer or further away from your ultimate destination. Lots of little details like that. Even the sort of like, you know, focusing our detail around the T and the whole areas, because that's where people are going to spend the most amount of time while they're waiting on their friends to either tee off or, or put into the cup. So we want to focus, you know, just like you would, um, uh, decorating sort of like the line, you know, all that time before the ride is where right. people spend the most amount of their time. So we are absolutely borrowing some ideas from that. When, when you guys are approaching a whole, um, is, is there, is there a formula to what you're doing? Do you start with the gag and then, and then move on from there? Or sometimes is it the theming suggests like what, what the, what the, the, the gimmick or the, or the flow of the, the whole is it, 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 Yeah. I, I think probably the best answer to that is that it probably again, varies from course to course. Mm. There are some courses that are definitely a bit more, um, a bit more gimmick driven. There's some courses that are a bit more mechanic driven, like Coyote Valley um, with the windmills and the wind is a great example. Actually, Upside Town is probably the best example of one that was yeah. entirely built on this gimmick of changing gravity. So every single hole was designed around using that mechanic. Um, but one of the other things that we also do is we think about, for an overall course, we think of what the shape language and the overall play style is going to be. Um, oh. So for something like Coyote Valley, there are no, or there are very few sort of like hard borders. Like, you know, it's not like uh, Coyote Valley is sort of like the polar opposite from um, Cherry Blossom. Cherry Blossom, Zen Garden, everything is right angle, clear wood barriers to everything. Whereas Coyote Valley, the green, you know, kind of like just merges in with the hills. And so you can put off the green, you can play out of bounds a lot more easily and you don't have as many bank shots. So we think a lot about that. And when we're designing the, the course up front of like, what is the overall play style? Um, and we try to fully explore that. And there's a lot of variability within that, but in general, that's what sort of, I think gives each of the course their own unique flavor. Um, and we were just talking about Zerzura again, Zerzura was entirely built around this sense of scale. So, it's bigger, it's larger. If we keep the, the designs themselves stay simpler because, you know, you're having to sink 20, 30 foot putts as opposed to, you know, three or four foot putts. So the design needs to stay simpler, knowing that people are going to be kind of at the edge of a, a different part of their skill set. We touched on Labyrinth for a second there uh, in our last section. Uh, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask, who started that conversation about bringing that show into the game yeah so the i'm trying to remember exactly where that started we had been bouncing around a couple of ideas and we knew that licensing was something that we were interested in exploring and we were trying to find the right sort of thing that would you know the right sort of folks who would sort of let us try out something like this um, and luckily, I had a bit of a relationship with uh, with the Jim Henson Company just from the the 
all the film work that I've done. Um, and then also Michelle Martel, our head of licensing, uh, ironically, no relation to me, um, but she had actually worked um, in business affairs at the Henson Company. So that was a very sort of like easy call to make. And they were just fantastic to work with and, you know, pretty much let us sort of uh, do what we thought was best and had no problem with us. Yeah, sort of like as you're mini-golfifying something, you have to sort of be a little bit irreverent. Um, and they were totally there for it. And I, I I feel like that one does really represent like the, the labyrinth theme park that has never actually existed in the real world. It's kind of the closest thing you can feel like to actually stepping into the movie. You've you've adapted that film into the a course you adapted mist which was you know already a game into being a course later this year you're going to have you're going to have meow wolf's uh you know art and and design vibe coming in um how do you approach this adaptation process this this bringing something into the medium that that already has uh, you know uh, particularly a striking design a striking physical design that people really know I mean, some people, not everyone has been to Meow Wolf and you'll probably be exposing a lot of people to their style. So there's also a responsibility there. You know, the, the, yeah. you know your course will be the first time people encounter the idea of what a, a Meow Wolf is. Yeah. I, it's been kind of interesting because we've realized that with all the courses that there's a lot of people who stepped into Labyrinth and had never seen the movie. Some of them have gone back and watched it. Same thing with, with Mist, that ours was actually the first version that a lot of people experienced. So we definitely feel some responsibility there. And I think that one of the big things that we strive for is to make sure that it works for fans as well as people who don't know it at all. Um, so even, yeah, even Labyrinth, you could still go in, you can have a really great round of mini golf. You might not understand what the characters are, but there's, you could tell, okay, there's a bit of history here and you don't have to know all of that to have a good time. Um, I think Meow Wolf is probably the most interesting process out of all of them because we are actually working with the team at Meow Wolf, especially uh, Katie Kennedy, who is their, uh, I don't know exactly her title, uh, but she ex essentially she's sort of like head of creative over there. Yeah, she's um, one of the founders. So, Katie's great. She's, she's a yeah. wonderful person. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so with that, we're actually working like right alongside her. She's actually hopping into VR with us and doing some of the designs. Um, you know, we're still having to do kind of our style um, of Meow Wolf. So it's gonna, still going to be low poly. The lighting is going to be, you know, more in our style, but it's still going to be pretty like um, totally recognizable as a Meow Wolf experience. So um, I think that all of those, um, all of those licensed, you know, courses that we're doing, pretty much everything, uh, it comes down to talking with the team and finding like, okay, do we feel like we could do something with this? And also what is sort of our take on it? Because a lot of times it's not just a straight up like, oh, what are we going to do? Like even Mist was a great example of, okay, what are we going to do that is still going to be sort of authentic to Mist? Um, and ultimately that puzzle solving, we ended up boiling it down into a very, very simple mechanic with these triggers that if your ball touches, one of these like plates on the floor, it will activate a piece of machinery. Even though that's not exactly what NIST was, it still had sort of like a bit of that DNA of sort of some puzzle solving that we added to it. And uh, yeah, with every single course, that's that's 
kind of part of it. You have to think about what is our take or how are we going to, how are we going to kind of allude to the source material or sort of like stay true to it while still doing something new and different and mini golfifying it. So when this drops, you guys just made some big announcements uh, as part of Meta's gaming showcase. Uh, what's, what's happening? What, what did you just pop off? Uh, well, yeah. So uh, the first one is our next course is going to be coming um, very soon. We're recording this advance, so I don't want to say the date just in case that changes. But uh, um, we are—we uh, finally are releasing Journey to the Center of the Earth, uh, the nice. second in our Jules Verne trilogy. Um, this is one that I'm particularly excited about because even I remember now when I was a probably a probably. 12 or so. I loved Journey to the Center of the Earth especially, and I even had sort of a kind of a mist-like puzzle game that I was designing around that, and I'm realizing just how full circle all this has come because we finally got to do Journey to the Center of the Earth. It's just, you know, it's in mini-golf form. Uh, but even with the fox hunts and everything, we still get to do a little bit of that puzzling aspect. So really, really excited about that one. It's going to, again, the play style on that is going to be really unique, very adventurous, uh, but yeah, I can't wait for people to see that. Um, and then in addition to the AR that we've uh, we've been talking about, the mobile edition coming soon, um, we also announced our next series, which is called Evil Layers. So uh, we are going to be doing a series of courses set in sort of super villain layers. And there, there will likely be some, uh, some very fun mechanics that are going to come out of all of the fun all the fun spy supervillain toys that we get to play with. Oh, that's really neat. Tell mm -hmm. tell me the first thing about about the AR cuz uh mm -hmm. you're you're working some mobile mobile AR mini golf action? Yeah, so the the we've been calling it kind of the AR. It's actually I should use the proper term. We're calling it pocket edition. So Ooh. we have the game. This the game actually started out as a mobile game um using basically the tracking that you would use in like an iPhone um, for doing like AR stuff. So AR is probably a misnomer, but you actually play it by, you can physically walk around your space and you putt by actually just gently swinging your device. Um, and the cool thing is, is that it's also full cross play with VR. So if you're in a household where you've got one headset, but everyone wants to play, now you can get everyone into a private room. You know, some people are going to be in VR. Some people are going to be on their mobile device, but, uh, it works really, really well and is surprisingly accurate and really feels, you know, as close to the VR version as we can make it without actually strapping on a headset. So yeah, oh, Pocket so Edition will be coming soon. So the courses are in Pocket Edition. Exactly. Maybe not all of them, but are all of the courses or some of the courses? We're I'm, I'm coming uh, from the, complete ignorance here, obviously. Yeah, the, the plan is to launch with all of the courses and you will still be able to buy the DLC in Pocket Edition. Um, this is all sort of still something that we're in the process of testing right now, but right, right. Uh, we've been working on, this has actually been something that we've had the game working in on iOS and Android devices since the very beginning. In fact, that's what allowed me to add multiplayer as a solo developer because I was able to play myself with one oh VR headset and playing on the phone. So it's oh been in God. there since from the beginning. It's just that the amount of polish and all of the new features that we've added, there's a decent bit of just, uh, you know, just really sort of getting it up to the point that it's a polished experience for everybody. That's like, this is actually more than anything. This is like kind of blowing my mind. Cause like I, I've, I've been running around like a crazed madman for the past couple of months. So like, I haven't, I haven't kept up with it. Uh, you know, all of your guys' news mm -hmm. and like, everyone's always looking for, 
like, well, what's going to be the killer mixed reality app? And like, you know, how are we going to sell this to people and blah, blah, blah. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and for me, it always comes back to what cool things can we do with each other or what, what, what can be enabled in our play together that, that we can't do uh, with just what we already have. And, and this idea of being able to, someone's on the phone, I'm in the headset. I don't have to leave the people around me out of the fun. And, yeah. and that's, that's been a huge thing with VR. VR, you know, the, the, it was great during pandemic because something like walkabout could bring us together. We could play together because we were isolated. And it was like our, our line. Like what am I, I asked one of my friends, like, Hey, what do you want to ask the creator? He just said, they just said, just thank them for, for making, <laughs> for keeping <laughs> me sane during the pandemic. Right. Like they had no questions, no questions. Just tell them I love them. Um, but, uh, but this, you know, you've, you've already got this great game and now this feels like the, the next step, the next evolution. And it's, it's coming through something that people already love and now just get to share that love with more folks. So, Oh, that's exciting. That's really Yeah, exciting. exactly. Yeah. And we're, we're hoping that it's a great way to even just sort of like people who are having their first VR experience. It's always one of those difficult things is knowing what they're seeing and you can stream, but it never works quite right. Whereas now you can even have it on your, yeah, your iPhone or iPad and just sort of like, Oh, you can actually see what they're doing and even gesture to stuff and all of that. So yeah, it's uh <laughs> It's surprisingly engaging, and yeah, for multiplayer especially, it works so well. How many, how many, how many players at once uh, local in, in the in the mixed platform? Uh, so it'll still be the same as the VR headset. So it'll be a room you can have up to eight people. Um, so it'll be the yeah the the exact same thing as the as the VR version. Oh my god! I know a couple of places where I'm going to go demand. Uh, hey, we need to take over this basketball court. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you don't. The, you also you don't have to physically walk around everywhere. You do have the ability to play even seated. Um, it's just it, there's something really really cool about being able to even like walk around in the physical world and sort of line up your shots. So yeah, if you have a lot of space, it only makes it better. Oh yeah, majorly. Um, all right, I uh, got one more thing before I let you go because I've I've eaten up so much of your day already. You guys are Austin based and I know that's that's a tight knit game creator community it has a really long history right you know mm-hmm. uh, Origin for instance uh just to just to name the big one but then just generations now of of game studios uh, how has that played into how you built your team um it's definitely, I mean, it's it's helped a lot being in Austin. I will say that our team is actually mostly remote. We do technically have an office, um, although there's only a couple of us who go into it and even that sort of like semi-regularly. Um, so we, because this whole game, you know, uh, Mighty Coconut had essentially sort of like scaled way down during the pandemic. And because we rebuilt it sort of like during the pandemic meant that we were pulling people from sort of all over the place. Mm. Um, But I would say probably about half of our team is in Austin. A decent number of them have worked at uh, gaming studios here, but also a lot of the folks that we're bringing in are not necessarily kind of, they maybe have not been at as many game studios because we are pulling folks from a lot of different industries like themed entertainment. We've got a few people who come from theme park design. We've got a few people who come, uh, we've got quite a few people who come from the animation world um, and even deeper tech and and all that. So it's actually, uh, it's actually pretty interesting. I think that a lot of that comes down to the fact that we're doing mini golf, but even the way that we sort of think about it is maybe not quite like a typical um, game studio, which 
there are some things that we're trying to get better at and learn from how other studios do it. But it's also, I think, been one of our big um, strengths is that we're sort of, because VR is such a new medium, we're kind of having to sort of like relearn what works and what doesn't. Um, and not just sort of adapting all the things that people have used in traditional traditional games. We're pretty much sort of uh, kind of reinventing the wheel each time we do something. Well, you've been inventing some fine, fine wheels as you do that. So Lucas Martel uh, of Mighty Coconut, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Really looking forward to seeing everything that's coming out of the studio this year. And uh, I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk again later. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Once again, I want to thank Lucas Martel for being our guest on the show this week. Check out what they're doing over at Mighty Coconut. Check the show notes for links. Oh, me, oh, my. Uh, it is 9.45 p.m. on Wednesday, May 31st. I still got a bunch of emails to write because um, that's what I've been doing. Actually, I was editing this and then getting back to emails and uh going with the team and approving like graphics stuff, you know, just, just, you know, late, late into the, into the light. Um, the cat is meowing as you could hear Gar, what's wrong. What's wrong, buddy. What's wrong. You want attention? You want us to watch rebels? I want us to watch rebels. That's what I want to do right now, but I can't cause I'm working and I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Uh, okay, anyway, look, Dino, who of course made uh, the No Persinium logo and uh, is doing auto graphics for the next stage, Dino's texting me right now and I gotta give him some graphic stuff. So I'm gonna get back to work. Uh, you're gonna be enjoying the fruit of our labors. And indeed, look, if everything happens what we think it's going to happen next Monday, uh, we will have a podcast next week. Uh, will it just be me talking into a microphone? Will it be me and Patrick talking into a microphone? Will it be me, Leah Davis, and Patrick? And and maybe Kent By or Todd Martins or, you know, Scott Stein or someone walking a microphone. Entirely possible. Uh, I can't think about that right now. I got a whole, like, show to do. So um, you'll have something, almost certainly, unless uh, they don't announce something. And then, oh, boy, we're all being really silly, aren't we? Um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys like me this way or you're scared of me this way. Or maybe you like being scared of me this way. The associate producer of this program is Parker Sella, who I get to meet tomorrow. Uh, well, uh, it'll be yesterday when you listen to this, if you listen to it on Friday. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. I've, I've met Chris plenty of times. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. Always a treat to see Siobhan. And this podcast is uh, 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 the thing that defines my life. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time... I will see you at the summit. <gasps> oh no, he didn't.